On today's episode, unstring your bow, sheath your sword, and give me kisses three. For if you don't, by end of day, forever a beast I'll be. We will see, we'll see, farmer Chan said we'll see. Nothing is promised and nothing comes free. For now I must care for my family. As to the future, we will see. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers here on The Appleseed. It's time for The Appleseed. In each episode of the show, we bring you a couple of stories from favorite storytellers. The stories will entertain you, they'll inspire you, they'll get you thinking. They may even help your family tell your own stories. I'm Sam Payne. Our first story is an ancient tale of magic and dragons called the Laidly Worm, told to us by Simon Brooks, storyteller originally from the United Kingdom and now living in New London, New Hampshire. Now, Simon collects and retells all kinds of tales from all over the place. And this one was first published over 200 years ago in the British Isles. But versions of the story exist in other places like Iceland as well. Now, Laidly, as in the Laidly Worm, Worm is an old, old word. It simply means ugly, loathly. In fact, if you speak French, you may recognize the word as being very like the French word for ugly, lead. And this story is about grief and loss, and it's even about the love between sisters. If you've ever needed help from a sibling, or if you've ever been the helper to a sibling, then this is a story for you. If you've ever experienced a painful change, then this is a story for you. If you ever found yourself the one called upon to heal a grief in a family, then this is a story for you. Here's Simon Brooks with The Laidly Worm, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. This story comes from the northeast, as you're looking at the map, the northeast of, of England. And uh, the place is Bamburgh, Bamburgh Castle. And many, many, many years ago, there was this, this king who was madly in love, devoted to his wife. And they had two daughters. And the daughters, they were like night and day. They, they had the best traits of both of them. And... She, the queen, was the, the light in his eye, the, the, the apple of his heart. She was everything to the king. But one day, she passed away. She got a sickness and she didn't recover. And this didn't break the king's heart in two. It broke his heart into a thousand pieces. Before she died, they'd sat down together as a family every single night and had meals together. And they shared their innermost thoughts. They shared everything. But now that the mother had passed away, they barely ate together. And when they did, they barely spoke. The king would grab food when he wanted it, which wasn't very often. And the two daughters, they would grab food whenever they felt like it. And the king, he became more and more distraught and he sank deeper and deeper within himself. And he wasn't able to rule the kingdom. And so his daughters took up in the places where he was lacking. And then one day, in a deep depression, he said to his two girls... I'm going to leave you to look after the country. I see that you're already doing it. But I need to go and find something to fill the hole in my heart or at least cover it up. 
And so in his grief, he left his two daughters to run the country. The oldest one was 15 years of age. Child Wind was her name. And she was like a kite. She was an adventurer. She liked to do things and go places. And at first she was fine with helping her younger sister look after the country. But every time she walked down a corridor and didn't see her mother, her heart broke a little bit more. Every time she opened a door to a room and her mother wasn't there, her heart broke again. And so Child Wind said to her younger sister, Margaret, I am going to leave you in charge of the country in my absence and in our father's absence. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And she handed him the keys. I will go and travel to our neighboring kingdoms to make sure that peace is kept in the absence of our father. I know you can do this. And she left, sailed away from the coast. Margaret, Margaret was one of those detail-oriented people. She was, she was into numbers. She was into, into charts and, and flow and, and the nitty-gritty of life. And her grief, she just threw herself into running the kingdom. She made sure that there were ores and metals for the blacksmiths. She made sure that there were seeds and grains for the farmers, that there was flour for the bakers. She made sure that every single knife in that kingdom, every single tool in that kingdom was sharp for her father's return. And it wasn't long, considering, when she got messages that her father was returning, that he had found someone who was also hurting, someone that helped cover that hole in his heart, and he had helped her cover the hole in her heart, and that they were married. She wouldn't have to call the new queen her new mother, but she would be the new queen. And Margaret was overjoyed that her father had found someone to bring her some sort of happiness. And so she started to prepare this, this huge feast for the day of his arrival and the new queen's arrival. She got in touch with musicians, and I'm sure storytellers as well, to have a great feast for her father's return. And the household, the royal household were there, the guards were there at the, at the docks to meet them. And the king and queen disembarked the ship. And Margaret, she, she used all of her, her self-control self not to leap into her father's arms. She politely curtsied to the queen and then she curtsied to her father, the king. And then she leapt into his arms and held him as, as father and daughter. And she was overjoyed to have him back. And she turned to the queen and said, Your Majesty, I imagine that your customs are slightly different to ours as our customs are slightly different to yours. And this, this castle that you are moving into is going to be a new home for you. I will do everything that I can to help you find your way in our world here. And if you need anything, let me help you. One of the guards who was standing, listening to this, whispered to one of his comrades and said, there's something really canny about her. The kindness and her compassion in Margaret is, is unbelievable. And the queen heard this. And the queen did not like hearing this. You could at least, said the queen, turning around and facing the soldiers, you could at least show me the courtesy that you give this princess who has lived here for many years. 
Margaret bowed down, undid the keys from her waist and handed them to her father. But as she handed them to the father, the queen's hand went over hers and she pulled the hand and the keys to herself. I shall take those, said the new queen. Nobody heard her mumbling and muttering to herself as the queen went in the castle, thinking that I cannot do anything about her look, I cannot do anything about her manners, but maybe, maybe I can. You see, this new queen, the king's new wife, the king who had been enchanted by this woman was indeed enchanted by this woman, for she was a sorceress. And she went down into the deep cellars of the castle and she cast a spell, a spell on Princess Margaret. And when Margaret awoke, she was no longer a fair maiden, but a laidly worm, an ugly dragon. When the maids came in, they screamed at the sight of this dragon in Lady Margaret's room. Lady Margaret thought there must be somebody behind her that was threatening her, and so she leapt off the bed only to see her own scaly tail falling to the floor. And then she saw her clawed hands, and she turned to speak to the maids, raised her hands, and the voice that came out was not a human voice, but a raspy, growling, animal, guttural sound. And she knew in that instant that the maids, when they ran, they would get the guards, and when the guards would come back, they would assume that Margaret had been eaten by this creature. And she was right. The guards came in with their swords drawn, with their spears pointing. She tried to raise up her hands and, and calm them, but her voice and her, her appearance were so terrifying that they just lunged at her. She backed further into the room, her scales scattering on the floor. She smashed a window open with her tail and ran down the walls, her claws holding on, down into the moat, swimming through the moat, over the, over the moor, towards the cliffs, towards Spindleston Hugh. As she made her way down the cliffs, she could hear the church bells ringing, ringing out a warning that something dreadful was now in their town. And Lady Margaret, who is now this, this, this laidly worm, took to hiding in the caves and the caverns at the base of the cliff. It wasn't long before she needed to eat. And against her will, she was eating stray animals that got too close. Lambs, sheep, calves, dogs, cats even. And the villagers, they were worried that their children might stray too close to the cliffs and be eaten by the monster. So they went to see the wise woman of the village. And the wise woman, she thought about this. Wise women, wise anyone, speak in riddles. And this was all she could say. Call upon child winds to come home. Only she can help us. And in regards to the dragon, 12 kine, 12 cattle have to be milked dry at dawn and their milk taken down to the troughs carved out by the waves at the base of Spindleston Hugh and the milk left there at sunset. That will sate the dragon's desire for food. And so the people the next day milked 12 cattle dry of their milk at dawn and waited until sunset to take it down to the bottom of the cliffs and pour the, the buckets and the urns of milk into the stone troughs that had been carved out by the waves. And word was sent to Child Wind to return. There is evil, there is danger, there are dragons. Now, of course, the sorceress, being a sorceress, she knew that word was sent. 
And so one night when the moon was full and bright up in the sky, in bare feet she went down to the beach to the shore and she called the evil creatures of the ocean to her. And she commanded them to go out and seek the ship that Child Wind would be sailing upon and destroy that ship, make sure the ship sank and that Child Wind would never make it to these shores again. And so those creatures, they went out into the waters. Child Wind, she knew that something was up. She was canny too. And she was intuitive. She knew that if there was a dragon in her country, then there must be some sort of evil there. And so she had a new ship constructed and she had the ship constructed with rowan wood along the keel. Rowan wood is supposed to be the magical wood, the, the wood that protects against evil. You know, some women in rural places put a, a small sprig of rowan on their babies so that the, the gentle people, the kind people, the fae, the fairies, won't leave a changeling. So she had this ship made and she had 33 soldiers who swore allegiance to her and they sailed and the ship was attacked by the monsters but they could do nothing for it was protected by that rowan wood the creature swam around trying to stop it from coming to the shore but child wind she knew how to sail a ship and she made that ship get closer and closer to the harbor so the creatures returned to the queen and told her what was happening so the queen came up with a plan b she put a spell upon margaret the dragon Margaret, that she would go out and fight that ship. And if she wouldn't fight the ship, stop the ship from getting close to the shore, getting close to the harbour. She, she put an enchantment on the soldiers so that they would go and stand on the harbour walls waiting for the ship to return to destroy the ship and anyone that came off of it. And Child Wind brought her ship closer and closer, but always that dragon was there stopping her coming in. And so Child Wind turned her ship around and sailed away. And the queen thought she had won. No, no. Child Wind sailed that ship until it was almost out of sight and then headed north up along the coast. And then she came in further up into a quiet bay. A plank was thrown from the ship to the shore and Child Wind and her 33 soldiers stepped upon her land. And when she did that, the queen's magic weakened. The soldiers awoke from their trance, looking at each other. What are we doing here? They had no idea. The, the dragon that was Margaret no longer tried to attack the ship, but swam back to the tunnels and the caves and the caverns of Spindleston Hugh. And Childwin marched with the 33 soldiers down the coast. And there, in the entrance of one of the caves, was this great dragon. The dragon that had invaded her country, the dragon that had supposedly eaten her sister. And so Child Wind, she drew her sword as the dragon came closer and closer to her. The soldiers prepared their weapons. And then the dragon raised its head high and then lowered it right at Child Wind's feet. And it looked up and said, unstring your bow, sheathe your sword and give me kisses three. For although I am a laidly worm, no harm will come to thee. Well, at first, Child Wind, no, this is sorcery, this is some sort of magic. She raised the sword as if to strike it through its skull and the dragon reared itself back up again and it looked down upon Child Wind who held a sword at the ready. The dragon lowered its head once more, laying it at Child Wind's feet. 
looking up at her and saying, Unstring your bow, sheathe your, your sword, and give me kisses three. For although I am a ladly worm, no harm will come to thee. The pleading in the voice was stronger this time. And Child Wind knelt down and kissed the monster on its forehead once and then stood up with the sword. Once more the dragon rose its head high and then lay it down at her feet and this time said, Unstring your bow, sheath your sword and give me kisses three. For if you don't, by end of day, forever a beast I'll be. And Child Wind saw the compassion in the eyes of the beast and knelt down and kissed it three times on its forehead. And the beast reared up, screamed and fell with a crash on its back and its belly split open and there inside was Margaret. Child Wind took off her cloak and wrapped up her unconscious sister and made her way along the coast up to the steps that led up to the castle. On entering the castle, she called for healers, she called for doctors. As the attendants ran and saw her, where did you find her? In the belly of the beast. What is going on here? What has changed since my father left? And they told her. And leaving her sister in the capable hands of the healers and doctors, she asked where the apartments of the queen were. And then she made her way there. She knocked once on the door, opened it, the heavy hinges squealing as she opened the door. And she stepped into the room. The queen was at a great table. And she was making notes. There was something that was being warmed up, this glass vessel bubbling away. When the queen saw her, she stood up. Who are you? I am Child Wind. I believe you are the new queen here. Yes, I am. And what are you doing in here? Child Wind reached to her belt and pulled out a stick of Rowan. You might call it a wand. And she walked up to the queen and the queen backed away until she could back away no further, pressed against the wall. And all Child Wind did was place the wand upon the queen's shoulder and say, as you have dealt, may it return to you. And on those words, her clothes collapsed. There was something beneath the clothes that, that came out, hopping and, and, and pulling itself along. It was a ladly toad, an ugly, warty to huge toad. And Child Wind watched as it made its way out of the castle. Child Wind, when she went to see her father and see Margaret now conscious and, and breathing once more, they talked like they used to talk. They began taking meals together every day and they walked together through their grief as a family. And they say, they say, that if you were to go to Bamborough Castle, in the shadows of the keep, there is still a ladly toad, the queen, sorceress. The end. Simon Brooks with The Laidly Worm, a story recorded live in the Appleseed studio before our terrific studio audience. That story was full of magic and dragons. It reminded me that in my own non-magical, non-dragon-filled life, I sometimes see things that appear monstrous at first, but then later I find out that my first impression was wrong. 
You never know what's going to bring on a memory, and you never know what memory it's going to bring on. As I listened to Simon Brooks tell his story, I thought about my little brother. I used to think my brother was a monster. We were little kids then, of course, and the stakes were low. We had food and shelter and the love of our parents. What on earth do we need each other's love or respect or cooperation for? So we let everything get to us that possibly could. If he was using a Lego piece on his spaceship that I wanted to use on my moon rover, we exchanged monstrosities. If the cat was sitting on his lap while we watched TV and I wanted it to sit on my lap, we exchanged monstrosities, much to the misfortune of the cat. If his slice of pizza had five pieces of pepperoni on it and mine only had four, well... You get the idea. My little brother was a monster. And, well, as for myself, I guess I'll just say that it takes one to know one. We grew out of it, as you can imagine. Sometimes I think we just had enough successful and peaceful runs to the neighborhood candy store on our bikes together to simply outweigh the monstrosities. But most times, I think the stakes just got higher. The world got bigger. We needed each other to help figure it all out. And we couldn't afford any more to argue over Lego bricks. In any case, the monster is gone. The kingdom is at peace. And though we live 1,800 miles away from each other, we talk every week and we visit when we can. We're pals, and it sure is good. I'm sure glad that spell is broken. And I bet he is too. I bet some stories sprang to mind for you from your own life or the life of someone you know. Stories have this wonderful way of sprouting and growing as the stories bring up thoughts that grow into conversations. Stories are like seeds in that way. And maybe that's why we call the show The Apple Seed. Coming up, a story in song form by the storytelling duo of Motoko and Ishubumpus. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to be with you on the Appleseed today. A moment ago, we heard The Laidly Worm, an ancient tale of sorcery and metamorphosis told by Simon Brooks. And now we have another story for you. It's called The Song of Farmer Chan. And as the title implies, it's a story told in song form. It's from a storytelling tradition where a series of events occur that initially look like good fortune, but then they lead to catastrophe, but then those same catastrophes eventually come to look like blessings. Here's the song of Farmer Chan from storytellers Motoko and Eshubumpus, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. Thank you very much. This past year and a half, there were many, many occasions for us to think that in our lives, happiness and sadness or joy and sorrow are inseparably entwined. They are woven together. So I wanted to uh, start with this uh, story song uh, that comes from this idea uh, from East Asia. And uh, Eshu, my partner, whom I'm so grateful for, has written the words. And uh, he's going to sing with me. It's a story song. I call this The Song of Farmer Chang. Farmer Chan was kind to a stranger Who in return gave him a horse 
Everyone said how lucky he was, how he'd prosper in due course. We will see, we'll see, Farmer Chan said we'll see. Nothing is promised and nothing comes free. For now I must care for my family. As to the future, we will see. Then came a time when the horse ran away. Everyone thought it was a shame. They said, we are sorry for your dismay. Some even tried to place blame. We will see, we'll see, Farmer Chan said, we'll see. Nothing is promised and nothing comes free. For now I must care for my family. As to the future, we will see. Then one day the horse returned with a second horse in tow. Oh, Farmer Chan, the neighbors exclaimed, you're more fortunate than you know. We will see, we'll see, Farmer Chan said we'll see. Nothing is promised and nothing comes free. For now I must care for my family. As to the future, we will see. Farmer Chan's son went riding one day, came back with a broken arm. Poor Farmer Chan would now be all alone to do all the work on the farm. We will see, we'll see, Farmer Chan said we'll see. Nothing is promised and nothing comes free. For now I must care for my family. As to the future, we will see. News came the next day, the war was at hand. All young men were called to fight. Of course, Farmer Chan was deemed lucky again. His son would be spared this plight. We will see, we'll see, Farmer Chan said we'll see. Nothing is promised and nothing comes free. For now I must care for my family. As to the future, we will see. We will see, we'll see, Farmer Chan said we'll see. Nothing is promised and nothing comes free. For now I must care for my family. As to the future, we will see. That was Motoko and Issue Bumpus with a performance of the song of Farmer Chan. I think there's an invitation in that story to talk with the people we love about things that may not have seemed like blessings at first, but then wound up turning out for our good. I bet you'd be surprised at how long a list like that might be. Thanks for joining us today on The Appleseed. Thanks to Simon Brooks and Motoko and Ishu Bumpus for sharing their stories. Listening to these stories always brings up memories for me that I love to share. Where did the stories take you? 
And who will you take along? Our episode today was produced by Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley. Our audio engineers are Carly Wilson and Ashton Parkinson. Trent Horton and Evie Hendricks make up the rest of the Appleseed team. If you want to send us a note, you can. Email us at theappleseed at byu.edu. That's theappleseed, all one word, at byu.edu. Or if you're listening through a podcast app, rate us. Leave us a little review. It helps people find the show. We're pleased and proud to be among the many shows in the BYU Radio family of programs. And you can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU Radio app at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. <laughs>